Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Yeah, so we just sang this. And we sang, Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight. Um, and so what we're saying in that, that's some, some old language there. But we're saying, Lord, bring it a lot sooner. Make it a lot, a lot closer when, we, we, when our faith, what we, just, we believe, kind of sight unseen, we're able to see. And that's Jesus Christ himself seated on the throne. And that's the day we're looking forward to. And that's also a day where a lot of our questions are going to be answered. Um, And today, if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, What we do here at Potter's House is we work through books of the Bible at a time. Uh, We're working through Genesis right now. And so we've done three different, three weeks in Genesis already. And I told everybody at the first week um, and every week since that if you had any questions that came up from what we were covering, uh, to shoot those to me. And then I would answer all of those questions this week. So... You are here for the answer session, uh, the question and answer session of our first couple of chapters of Genesis. Um, so if you have missed any of those first sermons, I encourage you to go online later and find them, um, and uh, you can kind of catch up. Uh, you can, we're on podcasts, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, so um, if you can't find us, let me know, and I'll help you find us. But um, So yeah, we have, you guys have some really good questions. Uh, Warren told me this morning, he said, hey, well, if you didn't have any questions, that meant you covered it really well. I said, well, we had questions. So, um, so, uh, but yeah, we've got some good questions this morning. So we'll jump right in. Uh, The first one, one of you asked, you said this, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on the nature of the light created by God on day one, given that the light emitting celestial bodies, sun, moon, etc., did not come until day four, right? So in Genesis 1, uh, this, is, this is the account. Uh, we have God creating light uh, and separating light and darkness um, on the first day, evening and morning, day 1. Uh, so let's, let's look at these, these passages again just to refresh ourselves. So Genesis 1, 3 to 5 says this. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then you skip down to verse 14, and it says this. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, and separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So the question is, how do we have light before we have the sun? Right? Like, that's, that's the question. So, um, so uh, some of you are ready to answer this. Uh, but yeah, and so on, we see this in here, and, it, and I told you my approach to Genesis 1. Uh, that week we covered all the different approaches. There's a lot of different ways of looking at that. Everybody with different views is going to answer this question differently. 
But the questions was specifically asked what my thoughts are. So that's the way the question was asked. Um, so here are my thoughts. My thought is on that first day, God created light. And then on the fourth day, he created the sun, moon, and stars. That's what I think happened. Now, what does that mean? This has big implications. When it comes in to trying to figure out how old the universe is, one of the things that we use to try to figure that out is the speed of light and the amount of time that it would take light to travel from a celestial body to Earth, right? Um, and so does anybody know how long it takes light to travel from the sun to the Earth? Eight and one-third minutes, okay? So the light that we, we get to the Earth, that was eight minutes ago at the sun. Does anybody know the furthest star that we have been able to detect um, and how far away it is in what's called light years, which is the amount of time that it takes light to travel over a year. Does anybody know how long, how far away? Any guesses? We got 500 billion. Okay. You're very optimistic on our, on our ability to see far off. Uh, the, the furthest that the Hubble telescope has detected is um, a star that is 12.9 billion light years away, right? So the logic goes, uh, if light has traveled from that star, well, then therefore the universe must be 12.9 billion years old because that we can see that light and that light has reached here, right? So that's the logic. But what if God created the light before he created the star, And it doesn't have to be that old because the light was already there. And so that's, that's one of the ways that, that I can see, I can, I can believe that, that the, everything doesn't have to be 12 billion years old um, and that I can reconcile with what I see in Scripture and taking it more literally. Um, and so the fact that God created light before he created the, the things that produce light tells me that this really should affect the way we view science even and the way we do science and these kind of things. Um, and so, so that is, is my view on that. And you're like, well, that's, that's kind of a cop-out. Well, let me tell you this. I believe that all of it came about by him just speaking. And if he's that powerful, I'm pretty sure he can make beams and particles of light without a source. Right? So if, you're, if your struggle is the light not having something that it's coming from, then I encourage you, like, it's a lot crazier stuff that we believe as Christians, okay? Like, God's pretty powerful. He can do pretty big stuff. Um, and in fact, I believe a day is coming um, when we will not have the sun anymore, and we will have plenty of light. Um, in Revelation 21, in the end, it's, it says this, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. 
And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who dares what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so for the Christian, I believe that what we're looking forward to, that day that we're saying, haste the day that, you make, that our faith may be sight, it'll be a day where there is no sun, there is no moon, it's a new creation. There's a new earth, a new heavens and a new earth. And that, in that, God himself is the source of all light. He is the, the literal light for us. So, you ask for my opinion, there you go. Number two, this goes, we, we had a light theme going on with you guys with questions. So, uh, two, you spoke of the light of God and not being able to look at him. Will we ever be able to see what he looks like? And where did the long, white, bearded version come from? All right. Uh, and so uh, the verse that I, I just referenced this, I didn't really go look at it, um, is in 1 Timothy 6. Uh, let's look at that um, now. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is in the testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. That was, that was the quote I said was, God dwells in unapproachable light. Whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Um, and so that was the verse that I referenced on that first week. Um, and what we see there is what it says is, is that God dwells in unapproachable light and no one has ever seen him or can see him. Um, and that's, that's part of who God is. This is also why it's such a big deal that Jesus Christ came and took on human flesh. He became God and man uh, in one so that we could know who God is. He took what was unattainable, what was unseeable, what's unapproachable, and he brought it to us and made it relevant to us to meet us where we are. Um, But specifically on this question, um, next week, uh, I'm actually going to be gone the next two weeks, um, and you guys are going to have Lyndon and Bruce uh, are going to be uh, preaching the next two weeks, so you guys pray for them as they prepare for that. Um, we, we, I gave them a really easy chapter. Just you know, they got Genesis three coming up with the sin and fall of the world. Um, so, no, not, nothing, nothing hard or big to take care of there. But, um, but yeah. So next week you will cover Genesis three, um, and in Genesis three eight you see God walking in the garden um, with. Adam and Eve when he ultimately calls them out, right? Um, And so it would seem that that was kind of a regular occurrence pre-fall, before sin, that God was in their presence. He was there with them, dwelling with them. Um, You know, when it gets into the Trinity and which person is Trinity and all that, I don't know. Um, But God was there walking with them. Um, So we see that before sin enters the world. And then we already looked at in Revelation uh, where God is seated on the throne in Jerusalem. He's the light uh, for the whole world um, at that point. And so I think at that point, yes, we will be able to, to see him in some way and see, see what he's like um, once our sin is dealt with. Um, but what, 
what we can't handle is being sinful human beings and still being tainted by sin, even if we become believers, even if we've been washed by the blood. Uh, we can't handle coming fully into his presence um, because it's not all taken care of in the fullest sense yet. Um, another place, uh, another passage to look at on this is Exodus uh, 33 where uh, Moses is up on the mountain, mount, mountain getting the Ten Commandments and the law from God. Um, and he asked God, he said, I want to see your glory. And uh, God hides him in the cleft of the rock and says, I'll pass by and you can see my backside because that's all you can handle. Um, so I don't know what God's backside means, but he has one. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so Moses is hidden there. Uh, God's pa- backside passes by and he sees his glory. And just from that, uh, Moses turns into like a glow stick um, and he's emanating light and he goes back down to the people and totally freaks all of them out uh, from being just that close to the presence of God, right? Um, And God told him, you can't see me in my fullness because you will die. You can't handle it. You, You are tainted by sin. You can't handle being in my presence fully. Uh, also, John 1.18 says that no one has seen him. So, so as far as God the Father, who God is, no one's seen him, um, at least since Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, and the, but I think in the future, we will have the opportunity um, to see him and know him as he is um, at that point. Um, but that is one of those things that we will see when we see. Now, as far as the long, white, bearded version um, of God, and where did that come from? Uh, well, early Christianity followed completely with um, Judaism in that we didn't have pictures of God um, because based on this, the second commandment, no graven images, images are, li- are likeness of things that are in heaven. Um, there, was, there was none of that in early Christianity. Um, it was kind of, or I think around like the 10th century, um, all of a sudden, you know, the artists really started making all of these things. And uh, if you want to see these things, just go to Europe and look at the cathedrals and you can see all of the different artworks and all depicting God. And um, this was one of the things out of the Protestant Reformation that the, the reformers also brought about uh, change with where they said, hey, like you're bringing all of these basically idols. You're bringing all of these images and everything into our worship. And God says not to do that. And so as followers of the Protestant Reformation, you don't see, you know, a lot of um, images and things around here, right? Um, You don't see much in this room because it's pretty bland. Um, uh, But we're able to worship God here. Um, So I say that to say the first time that we start seeing this white bearded image of God um, would be probably around the 10th century. Um, It has no scriptural background whatsoever. Uh, The most likely guess on where the artist started getting that image uh, was actually importing it from like the the image for the Greek god uh, Zeus or for the Roman god Jupiter. Um, And so uh, it's completely from like a pagan background that that image comes from, um, as far as I can tell, and doesn't really have any scriptural background for it. So if you know a verse that talks about God having long white hair and a flowing beard, let me know and I will uh, correct myself. But um, that's my understanding of it. Next, uh, number three, did the Hebrews tell time differently than us? The day started at night. Um, did you guys catch that as we went through Genesis 1? 
uh, evening and morning, first day, evening and morning, second day, evening and morning, third day? Um, and the answer is yes. Yes, they did. Uh, that, that is how um, they counted days. You can see this in Leviticus 23, uh, where it talks about a Sabbath. The Sabbath starts on the evening, uh, the night before. Uh, the, the Saturday runs through that day and ends uh, when evening uh, comes again. Uh, but this also has implications for us in understanding um, the crucifixion narrative, actually. Uh, so let's look at that. Let's look at Luke 23 and start in verse 44. So in Luke 23, we've got Jesus on the cross already. And in verse 44, it says this. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Okay? So that was like noon until three in the afternoon is the times that, that it's talking about. While the sun's light failed, and the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion saw that he had taken, what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, and all the acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph uh, from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council and a good and righteous man he, um, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid it in the tomb cut in the stone where no one had ever been laid. And it was the day of preparation. And the Sabbath was beginning. So what does that mean? That means it was sundown. It was evening. Uh, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn... They went out to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And we know the rest of the story. They find that he is not there because he has risen from the dead. Um, and so it helps us under, if we understand the way that they, they would tell time that the Sabbath started at sundown on Friday. Well, then that tells us that Jesus was already off of the cross and in the tomb before sundown on Friday. Um, so he, he had already been pr pronounced fully dead. Um, they had stabbed him with the spear, all of that. Uh, by that point, he was dead, put in the tomb. He stayed in that tomb until Sunday morning uh, where he was raised from the dead. And, uh, and because of that, we have hope and we have a future. If we believe in him and we ask him to count what he did on that cross for us and for our sins. So... So, Ken, yes, even in question and answer Sunday, we get the gospel. So, <laughs> number four, I understand that pastors and churches in general are reluctant to preach from the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Do the major seminaries and Bible schools actively discourage studying Genesis, and if so, why? Uh, so, that's a loaded question. Um, my experience is no, uh, they do not discourage it. Uh, the, uh, both where I did my undergrad work and where I did my master's work in seminary uh, had 
courses in Genesis, was taught Genesis. Um, now, yes, at different schools and different theological views, you're going to get different takes on it. You're going to get different understandings being taught and that kind of thing. Uh, but I, um, just since I'm a little out of the seminary loop right now, uh, I called my buddy who uh, works with our seminary over in Cochrane with our denominational seminary and asked him this question. And his, his quick answer was, no, absolutely not. We don't discourage that. Um, he said, in fact, like you can't really build the whole story of, of redemption, the whole story of the fact that we are sinners needing a savior if you cut out the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So, um, so yes, definitely as part of the coursework in our seminaries um, and schools. Um, I, I also did a little quick uh, search of different seminaries to see in their course offerings what, what they offer. And yes, Genesis, even at one of the most liberal schools I could find, they said, yeah, we, we teach Genesis too. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say it's not because of schools or seminaries. So why maybe in your perception have you not heard as much of Genesis or, or that kind of thing in churches? Um, my, I can only guess at this. I can only speculate. Obviously, we're teaching it here. We're going through it. Um, my guess would be, first, if you have been in the Christian community very long, which most pastors have, um, you have heard heated arguments um, over this stuff, um, and you just get tired of it, and you don't want to have that in your church. So it's honestly just kind of easier to avoid it, um, which is one thing about the way we approach Scripture here at Potter's House. I don't get the luxury of just avoiding things that I don't want to talk about because uh, we keep going, and the elders tell me, no, you need to preach Genesis. Um, and so, uh, so, yeah, so that's part I would say that's part of my guess. Um, also, if you take a more literal interpretation of it like I do, uh, you kind of run the risk of being seen as ignorant and ill-informed um, as it comes to science, and uh, nobody wants to be seen as ignorant and ill-informed. Um, and so that would be another reason maybe some pastors avoid it. Um, also, I, I see in a lot of pastors today a desire to really just focus on the New Testament, focus on the gospel, focus on Jesus. Um, that's where we're going um, with things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but my take is the whole thing points to the gospel. So, and God gave us the whole thing as his word. So let's look at the whole thing. So, so there's my best answer for that one. Hope that helps. Um, but number five. When did animals and humans stop being vegetarian? Was it after the flood? Uh, so did you guys catch that in Genesis 1? We didn't really focus on it. I just kind of read it, and we didn't make a point of that one. But Genesis 1 and uh, verse 30, it says this. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And so we see there in Genesis that all of the living beings um, eat plants. Uh, so when did carnivores start happening, um, including humans? When, when did that happen? Uh, well, we do see when, when the fall happens, uh, part of what you'll get to next week as well, um, the first, we, we see that God closed the man and woman in what? Skin. So where did the skin come from? Most likely from an animal that died because of sin. Um, and so, so with that, 
uh, we, already, we don't know that they ate the animal, but at least its skin's being used. Um, and then when, once you get to the next week with Cain and Abel, um, we see uh, that Abel's sacrifice was what? A lamb. It was an animal. Um, so we already see animals being killed at that point. We don't know if anyone ate the sacrifice or not. Um, but then definitely uh, by um, Genesis 9, verses 3 and 4, we see this. This is after uh, Noah gets off of the ark. Um, he is told this. Every moving thing that lives uh, shall be food for you. And as I uh, gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Uh, so definitely... By the time after the flood, uh, it's definitely clear at that point that, yes, we are given the okay to eat everything that moves um, by that point um, for Noah. Now, my vegan and vegetarian friends in the church will probably point out that is also when man started living shorter lifespans. Um, So, uh, but. Number six. What about dinosaurs and what the Bible calls beasts? So what's up with the dinosaurs, right? Like, where does that fit into Genesis? Um, well, as, as I said in week one, there are different theories. When, when you're inter- interpreting Genesis 1, all those different theories kind of have different answers for this question. Okay, uh, So one of the theories is the gap theory. That was the one between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. There was a whole creation uh, that went bad and was destroyed. Everything was formless after that point, and then God created this new creation. As I said then, it's an argument from silence. It's not really supported from Scripture, I don't think, but like it is an argument, and people I respect hold to it. Um, but with that said, their view of the dinosaurs are, well, the dinosaurs were a part of that first creation that was then destroyed and is gone. Um, so that's one theory. Uh, the evolutionary creationist theory, those are the ones that say that everything just kind of evolved as science says. Uh, God was just moving along beside it, guiding it as it happened. Um, so they would basically say the same thing as science says, that you know, that there was a long, 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 long time ago, the dinosaurs roamed the earth, and there was some cataclysmic event that destroyed them, and then God moved on with evolving and creating other things as he went along, okay? So that would be their view. Now, I've told you I don't really hold to those views. Um, I hold to a more literal view. So if you're more literal in it, how, how, what do you do about the dinosaurs, okay? Um, well, here's my answer on the dinosaurs. Well, before I get that, there's just a fun theory I just got to tell you about, okay? Um, so it's called the hyperbaric chamber theory, okay? Have, has anybody heard this one? So the hyperbaric chamber theory um, is that when it, gets, when it gets to the flood, it says that there was waters above and waters below. And so they say that there was a, this extra layer in the atmosphere at that point that basically made the whole earth like a hyperbaric chamber. A hyperbaric chamber has increased pressure and increased oxygen concentration, So things that grow in a hyperbaric chamber grow larger. Um, And so the hyperbaric chamber theory just says, well, it's just before the flood, everything just grew bigger. So dinosaurs are really just like what we have as lizards today. They just don't grow as big. Um, And so that's the hyperbaric chamber theory. I don't know if it's got any validity to it or not, but it's fun. Um, So, but here's what I think happened. I think that God created dinosaurs 
I think two of their kind were put on the ark. I believe God flooded the whole earth, killed all living things, so wiped out all the dinosaurs, threw them down really quickly. The flood also covered them all with sediment, made layer upon layer upon layer of rock, did it so quick that the bones would not decompose, but they would be there and they would be made into fossils. Um, And I think that really makes sense of what we see in the geological record. Um, I think it it makes sense to me in the way that things could have gone. Um, So what happened after uh, that? Um, Well, I believe they got off of the ark. Um, I believe that we have throughout almost every culture and every history um, some kind of like mention of dragons or whatever, right? Um, and all of these you know, mythological creatures or whatever. Um, and what, in every single one of those stories, what happens? Somebody goes to kill the thing, right? Like, oh, there's a dragon. Let's go slay it, right? Like that's, that's always the story that we have as best now. So, so what happens to a species of animal that only thing that people want to do is kill it? It probably dies off, right? Um, So that's what I think happened uh, to the dinosaurs. Um, As far as the Bible, though, and what it says about beast, um, that word that's translated as beast there in Genesis 1, um, that's just the snow sliding down the building. Um, So it just means it's getting warmer outside. Um, Yeah, I'm here to interpret all things for you. Um, (laughs) But, sorry. But... uh, yeah, so the, the beast in the Bible, that word is equally used to talk about even domestic pets, um, but it also translated in some places as dragons or translated as dinosaurs or translated in different ways. Um, so just that word in and of itself, I don't think is, is a clarifying factor on uh, dinosaurs in the Bible. Um, a lot of people will go to Job and what he says about the Leviathan. Um, when Steve was here and did the our Job conference, he talked through that, and he said what he sees it as is reading it. He's like, I think this is a crocodile and a hippopotamus. Um, but uh, I don't know. It might have been. It might be dinosaurs. So either way. All right, number seven. <coughs> in Genesis, where did the other people come from? Several of you asked this one in different ways. So uh, where did other people come from besides Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and then Seth after um, that? Uh, and this is, this is a common question that we have. Um, to those of you that asked this question, I want to clarify um, that the questions were supposed to be about what we've already covered. <laughs> we have not gotten to this yet. So you just are very overly eager people um, who are ready to get ahead. Um, but I'll, I'll clean things up a little bit for Lennon and Bruce and uh, try to tackle some of this for you. But uh, so, yeah, what we do see uh, that um, right after Cain kills Abel, he's worried because he's like, hey, other people are going to kill me because I killed my brother. So where did other people come from that are going to kill him, right? Um, Then it says he had a wife. Where did his wife come from? Uh, Seth gets a wife. Where did Seth's wife come from? Then all of a sudden they're in a city. Like, where did all the people in this city come from? Um, Like, where did did all these people come from? Um, And that is a very good question. Uh, the evolutionary creationist would say, well, they just evolved at the same time. And, uh, and then uh, God picked out Adam and Eve and said, hey, I'm going to make you kind of the figurehead matriarch patriarch of this, this whole species. 
um, and then that's how it happened. Uh, I obviously don't believe that, uh, so what do I believe? I believe that um, when in Genesis 3.20, uh, this is right after the fall. Eve is called mother of all the living, um, is what Adam calls her. He says, you're the mother of all the living. That leads me to believe that there were already others born by that point. Um, also, when you look at the curse in the fall in 316, Eve's curse is an increase in pain in childbirth. All right? So there's, it's an increase in pain in childbirth. That would lead me to believe that there's a good chance that childbirth had already happened. It just had less pain involved. And all the ladies say, man, that would be nice. Right? Um, and so, so, yeah. And so I believe that before the fall, it's very possible that Adam and Eve already had other children. And they were doing what they were commanded to do to fill and subdue the earth. That's what God had given them the instruction to do. So if they were being obedient to God up until the point that they brought sin into the world, they would have already been reproducing. They would have already been sending their, their reproduction out into the world. Um, also take note that uh, when we get to Cain and Abel's story, we kind of take it, we kind of assume that Cain and Abel were the first two just because they're the first two listed. Um, but nowhere does it say that they were the firstborn and secondborn, Right? Um, and so the story of Cain and Abel, I think, is a story showing how their offspring were affected by the sin that they brought into the world. Um, and so, uh, so I think that's the main point of that story. So we, we can't get mad at Scripture when it's making one point and we're wanting it to answer a different question. Okay? Um, and so, uh, so it says that, but then if just to really clear it up, um, in Genesis 5-4, uh, it says this. Uh, the days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So that's where they came from. He had other sons and daughters. Eve, mother of all the living, they had other sons and daughters that aren't listed in Scripture. All of those kids started having kids, and multiplication happens, right? Um, so that's what I believe about where the other people came from. Again, that's my belief, my thought, my interpretation. Um, others have different views on that. So, um, now in closing today, it's my turn. I want to ask you a couple questions. Okay. So one, is it possible that God created a grown-up universe? What I mean by that is, like I was saying, light's already there. It doesn't. He doesn't create a star and just wait and hope the beam gets to earth, right? Like light's already there. Uh, plants, did he just throw a bunch of seeds out or did he have full-grown trees when he created the universe? Um, if there was a full-grown tree, did that full-grown tree have rings inside of it? Um, because we assume rings mean that that was a year that the tree lived, right? Um, but I would think that if God created a full-grown tree, it would already have rings inside of it. Um, is it beyond the scope of God uh, to make rocks already in layers when he makes the, makes the world? I don't think so. I think if we're counting down layers of rocks, I think God could put however many layers he wanted. Um, in doing that, is it beyond the scope of God to put uh, certain elements with certain half-lifes in those layers as he did so? I think that's completely possible too um, because he's creating a grown-up universe, a grown-up world. 
And so um, I'm just saying that to say that I, I think we should, maybe when we think about the age of things, be open to the idea of when God first created it, it already had signs of age um, because he created something that was beautiful and amazing. So second, how do we know how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden before eating of the tree? So I kind of got to this with, with answering that question about the other kids. But the answer is we don't. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think we can know how long they were in there for that time period. So they could have, I mean, it could have been millions of years that Adam and Eve lived in the garden without eating of the tree. I don't think it was that long, but I, I think it could have been a, a substantial amount of time. Next, is it possible that animals died before the fall? I think yes. I said a minute ago where, you know, the, the lamb, the animals were killed for their skin after, because of the sin. Um, but I think it's possible um, because in, in the scriptures that are taken to, to say that through sin, death entered the world, they go on to clarify that it's talking about for man, for mankind. Uh, it doesn't necessarily say for animals. We can make kind of a summation about it saying that it was animals too, that I get boost death in general. Uh, but my question to that is, if Adam and Eve were told, hey, the consequence for eating this tree is death, what, how would they know what that was if nothing died at that point? Um, and so, uh, so, yeah, I think that's a possibility as well that could factor into what we see in other, other areas of things. Um, and then lastly, aren't we glad that if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, in the end, we can ask him all these questions. <laughs> and he can give us the real answers, not my best guesses. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do love you, and we thank you for who you are and for all that you do. Uh, and we thank you that we can know that you created everything, um, that you did it out of nothing, and it was good. It was really good. And we know that sin came in and messed it up. And we know that you came and made it back right again by dying on the cross for us to make all things new. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we get to be in your presence and we get to experience the goodness of your creation without the taint of sin that we as humans have brought into it. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel